Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flody. And this episode is everything you need to know about sex and sexual history taking and the biopsychosocial model that we talk about in sexual health. Uh, Before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that we are not giving any type of religious or medical advice. So if you have any concerns about your health, please speak with your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. And this is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So today I am so, so happy and grateful to have on with me Uchena Osai. And uh, UC, as people lovingly call her, is a doctor of uh, physical therapy and pelvic floor therapist, but does so much more than pelvic floor therapy physical therapy. So welcome, welcome, and uh, please introduce yourself, and we'd love to know more. Well, thank you. I am, first of all, I'm so honored and um, just happy, happy to be here to chat with you about all things sexy time and health. So that's it's my favorite topic. Um, but yes, I um, currently, you know, I've been on faculty at University of Texas at Dell Medical School as assistant professor for about five and a half years up until August, and now I'm with the University of Utah in their College of Health um, as an assistant professor in their Department of Physical Therapy. And my specialty, yes, is in pelvic health and sexual dysfunction, but also how to implement, um, you know, equity, diversity, inclusion, intersectionality into the learnings, right? Because we know that social determinants of health, political determinants of health are 80% of everyone's health. And what we do as healthcare providers is about 20%. And so making sure that we all understand our health, um, not just from a biological perspective, but from a global perspective and what are the upstream problems and what are the downstream problems and how to navigate that as whole individuals. And of course, centering everyone's humanity. That's that's key to being a human, but also being a provider for me. Awesome. Yeah. So I had the privilege of having uh, listened to your lectures while uh, in my course for sexual counseling and education through the University of Michigan, and they were amazing. And a lot of the things that um, you talked about uh, were focused in the model of the biopsychosocial uh, model and aspects of a person's life in regard to sexual history. And I'm wondering if you could break that down a little bit for our viewers and our listeners. Absolutely. And let me let me t- talk to you all about it from the perspective I had before I started grad school, right? Before I started my doctorate. I was I was 23 years old and I thought to myself, well, you know, this was th- this is how I think of my health. My health is, you know, that I do yoga, <laughs> that I exercise, that I eat right. Um, you know, that I get a good education, that I be in a safe neighborhood, right? And so that's what I thought of when I, when I thought about my health and what made up my health. And, you know, it was many years ago. I'm not going to tell you how many, but it was many years ago. 
And so I very much had a biomedical view of my health. So it was either my health was wrapped up into the biological, like if I had cardiovascular disease or anything like that, and that was due to my choices, right? My personal choices. Um, and then of course, a little bit with, you know, some, with some genetics, right? That's how I thought about it. And that, you know, in order, and I would be healthy once I address that issue. The biopsychosocial model is a departure from that. I call it a departure, but I, or we can think of it as an additive. It's looking at our health, yes, from a biological perspective. So we have the things that are going on in our life, endometriosis, uh, erectile dysfunction, pain, hormonal imbalance, whatever is in that bucket. But then we also have to look at it from that psychological perspective. What's happening to us emotionally? right? Do we have a history of trauma? Do we have anxiety, right? Do we have depression? You know, are we dealing with significant amounts of shame, whether that be, you know, body shame, cultural shame, you name it. And then you also have to look at it from another line of, you know, the sociocultural components, what our gender, right? Our religion, our race, right? Our sexual orientation, how society frames us, Right? Those are going to help inform how we look at ourselves from a sexual perspective, how we look at how, you know, how, how policies are made to kind of allow us to express ourselves in any way we can. And then the last bucket is going to be that interpersonal component, right? So our relationships with others, our relationship with ourselves at work, right? Are you, are you kind of functioning in a toxic work environment all day, every day, and then you have to come home to family and other responsibilities, you know, so you're constantly in this space where you're not able to, you're just surviving. Yeah. And, and then that survival does have neurophysiological components mm -hmm. that do impact your stress level, that do impact your rectal function, your vaginal function, your bowel, your bladder. So all of the things. So it's, it's really what I think of the biopsychosocial framework as a inclusive, informative, healthy way to look at our health, particularly our sexual health and all the players that are there. Because sometimes we're, we can be not to any fault of our own. The only script we've been taught is we're very tunnel visioned. It's either get this med, get this, this hormone, which might actually, you might need both, but there are also other pieces to it that'll help you have a more, have, how, have an even better improved outcome. You're absolutely right. I think that, you know, medicine as we know it is all about pathology, right? So we go in, there's a dysfunction, we get treated for that dysfunction and that's it. And that, and that really, you know, it's, it's hard to blame anyone just because it's the way that our medical societies are based or even like our medical offices, right? We just don't have enough time. There's not enough time to sit down with a patient and ask them about everything that's going on. So I think the way that you do it, where you incorporate all those different aspects, you know, when you're doing a consultation, I think are so important because then you get the whole picture of the person and you just don't see the problem. And then you look at all the different ways that, that you can help and nurture that individual. I agree. I, you know, I really love that you said you brought that up about the time crunch, right? And and the way that even we train physicians, nurses, PAs, <laughs> PTs, it's, right. it's, it's very time crunched, and it almost gives us this um, not necessarily myth, but this misconception that we are alone in this battle for to help our patient. 
And that's why when you're thinking about complex, particularly sexual dysfunction and complex pelvic floor dysfunction, the gold standard is multidisciplinary care. You may not be, you may be in a siloed clinic, but having that dream team of individuals where you may say to your patient, you know, they, they might bring up the, the last 30 seconds of your, your session. Oh, by the way, I have significant orgasm problems. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's, a, it's helpful for providers to know, to say, okay, so listen, I, I want to hear about all of this. And you and I have about two minutes left, but let's make an appointment to discuss this in a later date. But in the meantime, I'm going to set you up with this person and this person to help you further investigate. And then I will be part of this discussion as we bring in these other people to help you with your goal. Right. Right. And, and that I think having that plain discussion, because we want to be able to kind of just scoop everyone up and under our our wing and protect them and address their needs. And, and sometimes you're just like, oh, darn, like I don't I only have 10 minutes. And um, this is a very complex thing that deserves time, deserves investigation and deserves resources. And and but the system isn't designed to to make that easy and 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 you know when you think about ways to intervene and it's giving giving us as providers tools to kind of better communicate to our patients while also in, in that communication of time limits we can also validate their concerns right right you know you had talked a little bit about the in our in the lecture that actually i was lucky enough to hear um about like sexological systems and um, maybe you could just talk a little bit about that and, and tell the viewers what, what that means. Yeah, so sexological systems is one of the many approaches you could use to assess, um, to assess sexual health, right? And so they, they write, d divvy it up into you know, about five systems. So you have the exosystem, which is going to be school, healthcare, media, you know, what are the messages you get from that? And then you have the macro system, which is the society's messages, gender roles, religion, culture. And then as well, you have the chrono system, which is the events that happen throughout time. Mm. You have the meso system, which is your environment, what you're hearing hearsay about sex. And then the microsystems are the interactions with other people, your parents, your partner, biology, or that one sexual event, right? So a microsystem question that a provider might ask is, how do you know physically when you are aroused, right? A mesosystem question would be like, does stress impact your desire? An exosystem question could be, has contraception been readily available to you? A macro system question would be, what did you learn about the initiation of sex? Is it okay to have sex before marriage or is it okay to have sex for pleasure? And a chronosystem system question can be, have you ever had any sexual dysfunction prior to now? What was your first sexual experience? Was it positive, was it negative? And so that's, as you see, there's the, the different types of questions I ask and they're addressing different parts of the, the psyche and the systems that are at play. And it's very helpful. I mean, you could give this to patients and clients as a, as a homework assignment. Um, it could be directed by you, the provider, but it also helps people to understand what, what, what brings them, what is making up their sexual understanding of themselves. 
And, and it's, it's, it gives us permission to know that we're not supposed to know it all when, when we get married. We're not supposed to know it all when we finish high school. We're not supposed to know it all when we finish college. It's, it's supposed to be an evolving process. Yeah, that's great. It's almost like there's, you know, layers of an onion, right, that you're peeling apart and you're trying to figure out and, you know, what's going on. And I love the fact that you just said, you know, we're not supposed to know it all because I think that, you know, um, so I'm an intimacy coach. I'm a sex coach um, for specifically for Muslim women. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of the hangups that, you know, we have, you know, being in a conservative culture, but it really, I think with all women or with all people is that, you know, we, we're under the assumption that we're supposed to know everything. Right. And, and how do you even learn everything? It's just, it's through experience, it's through reading, it's through learning, it's through listening. And, and that's how, you know, you get your information, but, I think that some of the the negative thoughts then the intrusive thoughts come in that, oh, you know, like I'm not good enough or I don't know enough or, you know, I don't have enough experience or, you know, all these thoughts come in and it just makes us feel less than when, you know, I think it's so validating to hear from you that, you know, you're not, you're not really supposed to know everything. No, no, my goodness. I don't know everything. And I've been doing this for a long time, <laughs> you know, over 10 years. And I think, uh, the permission we need to give ourselves, um, part of that has to be the learning. To, we're all students of life, just in the general sense. And so for students of life, we're also students of sex throughout the lifespan. lifespan. Because we're not going to be experts of our sex lives at, like at 40, we're not going to be an expert of our sex life in our 80s, because it's going to look different. And that's going to be, that's going to require, and I think the concept of erotic intelligence and sexual intelligence is, is, is this is where that comes in, where it's, it's, you're not just born with it, it's built. It's built through experience. It's built through uh, being inquisitive and being flexible and, you know, learning and exploring and which is a beautiful thing. Um, I, 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 I often like to work with my clients in, in giving themselves that, that permission and saying, you know, what, what can make you sexually fulfilled, you know, is actually just the process of exploring the, yeah. that journey. And I know that sounds a little cheesy, but um, it is actually true. But that's not the messages that we're told in society. We're, we're, everything is performative based. Um, a lot of things are performance-based and role-based, even the way we talk about pleasure or orgasm or erectile function. And, and I'm like, I would love to have conversations, more robust conversations about arousal. I would like to have more robust conversations about what, why certain, why we, we encounter some of the problems that we have in sex. Is it centered on the expectation or is it centered on the environment that we live in? Is it centered on the stresses that we are managing and navigating? And because we haven't been given the, the skills to manage that, it's manifesting itself sexually. And, and, and allowing people to have that, those thoughts versus immediately pathologizing themselves, um, that, that, would, that would be my dream. Yeah, yeah, you're so right that, you know, we all of a sudden people and everyone, I think, you know, starts to internalize the problems 
that they may be experiencing and without realizing that it's really not a function of them. It could be something that they've experienced in the past or all their negative thoughts or the media and things like that. And that's why I think it's so important the way that you talk about it with the sexological systems, because then you break it down into, you know, why, why are you having this? And if it has more to do with thoughts or is, you know, does it actually have like a biological component to it? And like you said, it could be all of those things, right? And that's why you work in a collaborative team effort, but but that it's important to to realize what are the dysfunctions and then where do they stem from? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you know what I'd, I'd love to know actually, um, I just discovered and I think we I mentioned to you that your Instagram page yeah. and I think I think it is awesome <laughs> and I'd love for you to so much. talk to us a little bit about it and what your hopes are in terms of, you know, the content that you've put out for your Instagram page. You know, that's a, thank you for asking that question. It's so funny. When I started uh, Instagram, uh, I, you know, I really wasn't a social media person. I, I didn't understand it. I, <laughs> I just, I was like, how does this work exactly? What's the goal? <laughs> Um, but I wanted people to have, <clears throat> I wanted to give people some ways to access sex education or sex, sexual health information in a way that was, was comfortable to them, that was similar to their own backyard. And so I, I created content around the issues that I was seeing in the clinic mm. that my colleagues and I were researching. Sure. Um, and so I think some of the first po po posts were about erectile dysfunction because mm -hmm. I was getting so many patients coming in um, and they were really young, you know, under 30 with erectile issues. Oh, wow. And um, and the I kept saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I thought to myself, OK, like, let's let's talk <laughs> about this. And so, you know, I just started just talking. And then I thought, well, I want to, I want, I always wanted UC Logic, that's my brand, to be authentically real and to talk about the real things that are happening in the world and to not pretend that, you know, sex is happening in a vacuum because mm -hmm. it, it doesn't. Yeah. That's not a thing. And so I developed uh, uh, this thing called Swagger Tips. So tips to just, be a human in the world, but then also tips about sex, um, <laughs> you know, and, and how to be yourself and how to not, you know, I, I think some, some, one of, one of the tips was about, you know, not trying to copy, like, you know, we're, we're comparing ourselves to other people's like, oh, so-and-so has this sex life and so-and-so has this sex life. What's wrong with me? And like comparison is like a tranquilizer dart to your sexy swagger. <laughs> to your <laughs> you know because yeah. it just it just does or that or that you know your your experience right is going to be a truth teller absolutely right your libido is a truth teller absolutely right because if your libido is tanking you're like i don't know what's going on but it's telling you something right we need to be able to like tune into that and listen to that. We still, you know, of course, want to make make sure that we're we're screened and checked out, and you know, all of those those things. But like, really examining. So it's my my social media has always been a biopsychosocial approach. I just didn't say it. I was starting to kind of teach people. 
I start thinking about, yes, we want to look at, you want to make sure you talk to your doctor and, you know, definitely see an endocrine specialist. But in the interim, while you're waiting for that appointment, let's do some work about what, where, what were the first sexual messages you got, right? Wow. How are you supposed to be this hypersexual being when it wasn't discussed? And right. we're not pathologizing the fact that it wasn't discussed. We're just saying it wasn't discussed. Therefore, we need to practice a way where it can be discussed or you can create a level of comfort so that it works for you in your life. Absolutely. You know, and I agree with that 100% in terms of, you know, not discussing it, right? So how do we create, how do we go from that sex negativity to that sex positivity, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Where we can have those discussions and, and, you know, at some level, if, you know, you're very new to it or whatever, it's going to be uncomfortable, right? But then you discuss things like that, things that may be sensitive in a very safe environment with people that you trust so that you feel more comfortable discussing those topics and things that may be bothering you, right? And I think that that is, is very, very important um, to create that sex positivity. And so that's part of the reason why I love your, you know, Instagram page, because there is a lot of that, you know, and that's really a lot of things um, that you focus on as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, what, I also do something called bourbon tales. So I yeah, love bourbon, but I sip bourbon and answer people's questions about sex. And it's all types of questions. Uh, and I try, and they're all, all uh, follower based, generated. Um, so I just de-identify it and just take the, the gist of the question and answer it for the, for the general consumption. Um, and I think that that's my opportunity to kind of, to give people specific tips and say, okay, so, you know, you're, you're thinking that you're being sexually stereotyped by this person that you're, you're dating. Well, okay. So here's some steps to take to inquire about that and to understand that more, right? It's, it's not that I'm, you know, telling them these are the, this is the solution for all, but these are ways to think about it. But then also with the question, introducing a concept that may not be in the brain space of a lot of people. Yeah. So in the question is the education. Right, right. Yeah. And I think what's great is that you give people um, ways to talk about uncomfortable topics. And, you know, I think uh, perhaps segues into their conversation. I oftentimes I get the uh, the question, you know, like, how do I even bring up this topic with, you know, my spouse that I've been married to for 20 years? You know, how do we bring up a conversation that we've never had about, you know, our sex life or our intimacy? Where does that even begin? How do I start that conversation? Yeah. Right. So I think that that's really important is finding where your comfort level is and becoming comfortable. And so that you can have those difficult conversations. I love what you say. That's a like, I love what you're saying about understanding your comfort level, because I think we we also forget that, you know, depending on the, the situation that you're in. Right. Or how your family is constructed or how, you know, how your relationship is. You know, a lot of times we attach our sexual development to our partner, right? It's very much intrinsically, intrinsically linked, right? But then we have to remember that that's something that, like you have your sexuality, your partner has their sexuality, and then you create one together. 
Yeah. And so sometimes it's hard to separate. And so I often tell people, don't think of it as separating because that like what you built with your husband, your wife is, is, is beautiful and sacred and awesome. And it's just that means that, oh, you're just taking a minute to think about, okay, so your sexual desires, your sexual sensitivities, those are cha- those are evolving. And so you want to think about, okay, how are they evolving? What is it that I need? Yeah. Oh, I didn't used to need as much, you know, um, verbal engagement or communication beforehand. But now I'm feeling like I need that, right? So starting starting centrally there where it's not a failure of your of your partner or a failure of you. It's almost like, oh, this is I'm I'm growing and evolving and I want to share this with you. Yeah. And I want to yeah. invite you in. Is there some are you are you noticing that you're growing and evolving? And, you know, kind of like, you know, I think you may have heard me say this, this abundance mindset where it's less about something wrong and there's a deficit that needs to be filled. It's more that you're you're kind of moving along in life and the things that you that you responded to are changing or maybe you never responded to it. Yeah. And then you're just discovering what you are responding to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's so true when you um, talk, you talked a little bit about growing with your spouse or even just growing on your own. I think that, you know, sometimes when you don't have that much experience, right. And you, you know, you come from a culture uh, or religion, you know, your religious practices where you're not supposed to have that type of experience, right. Until after you get married. Absolutely. But then you, you realize that just what you're talking about, that it's not a deficit. It's not, um, it's not a downfall of anyone or anything, but it's more of an opportunity for you to grow and learn and learn about each other, but learn also about yourself Mm -hmm. and to it as that and just by reframing it right it takes it from something that's very negative to something that's very positive and and then working on that and then working on yourself you know i think that that is very important absolutely absolutely because i had a lot of patients and clients where you know the first encounter was with their husband or wife and and they're like and they're learning (laughs) that's when sex ed began and i'm like fabulous this is a great opportunity, right? Here are some resources. Here are some things that we can jump into. Here are some pleasure mapping you can do with each other, right? You can discover a lot of things and, and it, it can be really exciting, right? And just because someone might, something may not feel good to another person, it's not a failure. It's not a failure of your skill, right? It's not about your skill. It's about what f- you both are discovering and understanding, you know, that, that ebb and flow, Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I can't, um, I definitely can't let you go without talking a little bit about vaginismus. You yes, know, of course. Therapist um, I have on, I have the luxury of having on with me. And so, you know, talk to us, talk to the, you know, the viewers and the listeners about who may be suffering from vaginismus, you know, a little bit about what they can do. And, you know, I talked about it a few times in my podcast, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. And, you know, maybe if you could just talk, just uh, tell our viewers again, just what it is again, and um, talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, and uh, forgive me, I'm just going to go th- into the l- pelvic floor for 13 Please. seconds. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> just to make sure that everyone's on the same page. 
Awesome. So, so the pelvic floor are the muscles at the bottom of the pelvis. And we're going to see this in all genders. So it's not just for women. It's for everybody. And so the pelvic floor goes from your pubic bone in the front all the way to your coccyx in the back. And it holds up your all of your organs, right? Bladder, <laughs> uterus, prostate, everything, rectum. And then also what it does is it helps you with urination, defecation, sexy time, and babies if you so choose. But one thing I, I always people always forget is that the pelvic floor is a stabilizer. So it stabilizes the pelvis, it stabilizes the hip, it stabilizes the spine. And it's a skeletal muscle, so you have control over it. So you can contract it, you can relax it, and you can lengthen it. So when we're thinking about vaginismus, right, we're thinking about the pelvic floor muscles and for people with vaginas and vulvas. So the, the vaginismus occurs when the muscles are so tight that nothing can go in or, it's, or something can go in, but it's extremely tight and it's extremely painful, painful so that you can't have penetrative intercourse or you can't have a pelvic exam using a speculum or you can't insert a tampon or you can't insert a diva cup or whatever, menstrual cup or whatever. So nothing can go in and it can be really, really devastating. And, you know, oftentimes what we're seeing is that it's usually it's a the cause of this is where people it's not clear there's a wide range of things but it actually has been poorly shockingly poorly associated with sexual trauma so a lot of people assume that that's the direct piece but that's not the piece now when we're thinking about how do we manage this right and so people say well how do i know if i have vaginismus well, usually it's going to be a combination of a pelvic floor assessment and the subjective interview. So oftentimes I'll ask people, are you having pain with penetrative sex in the vagina? Right. And if they say yes, and they're like, actually, nothing can fit, not even a finger, not even a pinky. I'm like, OK. And so if we do the exam and that's confirmed, usually that's when I see that. And so the first thing I want people to understand is that this is actually this happens more often than you think. Mm, yeah. This happens more often than you think. And that the, the first intervention is not immediately to, I mean, dilators are part of it, but we have to be, you have to be ready for that. And not just physically ready, but emotionally ready. Um, and it has to be prescribed in a way that works for you as a person, as the individual in your life. So for, for example, for a lot of my patients, we start with just thinking about the process of the sexual cycle. I said, what, what do you feel when you're getting aroused? Are you present in your body? Do you feel tension, right? And having them recognize that. And if they say, oh, wow, arousal is when I start to feel tightness down mm -hmm. there, that's where I'm gonna focus. We yeah. might start with belly breathing. We might start with, you know, you know, kind of doing an abdominal massage during that time to kind of get you, get your body desensitized. So it's not, so your, your, your vagina and your vulva aren't thinking stranger danger. Right? <laughs> we want to kind of ease your body and coax your body into that massaging your, th your thighs, those types of things. You can incorporate your partner into this, right? So then that, the, that foreplay aspect or the arousal aspect can really be helpful for your body to actually feel relaxed, right? Safe. Now, vaginismus or the intervention for vaginismus can works best with multiple interventions. So you might be using, you know, and this is where you come in where you're prescribing, you know, muscle vaginal relax or muscle relaxers. You could use anything from Baclofen to Valium to 
Botox to injections, you name it. There are lots of ways that you can do, you can stage that. But I always start with, you know, doing something that's non-invasive and to see how that works. Because if we can get you into using, even you don't even have to use a dilator. If you feel comfortable, you can use your own finger. You can use your partner's finger. You can use, you can use a vibrator if you feel comfortable with that. You can use, you know, lots of devices that can be utilized to help with this process so it doesn't feel so intimidating and scary, right? Yeah. And another, you know, and I also like to use a lot of interventions like yoga positions and movements to kind of help open up the pelvic floor, prepare the pelvic floor, you know, and with, with, with the goal of just getting your body to feel comfortable and safe and ready for sexual play. But another huge thing that is often getting missed with this is expectation management. Mm, yeah. Expectation management. And so the realistic thing is that for the most part, it takes about anywhere on average three to six months for, for conservative management to really, you know, start to take effect. And that requires a lot of stamina. Yeah. Right. And patience and education. But during that time, it's not that you're taking baby steps. It's, I said, it's that time where you're actually growing sexually. Because then I said, it's that opportunity time. It's like, okay. So in the meantime, while we're working on this, there's so many other ways to be sexual. Right. There's so many other ways to be close with your partner, to, to feel, to feel close in, in that intimate space with your partner and sexual space with your partner. Right. Communication can be developed. You could develop new skills, new activities, techniques that can be really, really satisfying for you and your partner as you're working on this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. I, I love how you bring in all the different modalities. And one of my um, favorite uh, speakers that I've heard, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of her, but Dr. Uloko. She's uh, she does sexual medicine in San Diego, and she also talks about how the brain is the biggest sexual organ. It is, right? and I and I think like with vaginismus, the brain plays such a huge part, right? In terms of you know what the brain is thinking when you know just like what you said, right? When arousal happens, what happens to you, mm -hmm. right? When when you start to have you know a sexual encounter, what happens and what are you thinking of and are you present? Are you not present? You know and what's going on, and I think that that is such a huge component with vaginismus that it doesn't really matter how many dilators or how many you know mechanical items you have. It really depends on what's happening in your brain and what your thoughts are. Absolutely. And I mean, I would say like, here's like a three-step thing for people if they have vaginismus to think about. Yeah. First question is, you know, what do you feel in your body when you just think about sex? Recognize that. What do you feel? Do you feel tension in your toes? Do you feel tension in your shoulders? Do you feel relaxation? Do you feel sick? <laughs> what are you physically feeling? And what are you emotionally feeling, right? Yeah. And what are you feeling during that arousal phase? What does your mind go through? What does your body go through? And then I want people to think about what would they like to feel? Mm. I would start with those steps first, because then when you have that information, it's actually very um, straightforward to design even an intervention that's specific to you. So depending on what you say, I might recommend, okay, actually, 
I want you to do some hands and knees rocking with some Cobra pose. And I want you to massage your inner thighs every night. And I want your partner to do that, do that with you. Right. Right. And another person I might say, okay, I'm going to have you consult with our urologist or your gynecologist or, you know, vulvar specialist. We're going to see what medications we need, depending on the patient. <laughs> Some people will be like, oh, yeah, I think you're ready for dilators. Right. Oh, you, the concept of dilators makes you uncomfortable. Okay, what would make you comfortable? Would you be comfortable with your fingers? Do you have something at home that you would like to use? And then take it from there. Right, right. No, that's that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you walked us through that because I think that, you know, some people might think that it's a one size fits all, right? No pun intended, but <laughs> it's, you know, you just have to see what works for you and where you are and, and where, where are you starting from, right? What's the starting point and where do you want to get to? And then how, how would we get there? You know, what are the steps we need to take to get to that point where you feel comfortable um, in a, you know, in an intimate setting, in a sexual relationship? And I think that those are all very, very valuable insights and important things to note. So thank you. Thank you so much. So what if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or, you know, follow your Instagram or um, see the products that you have? How could they find out and how could they get in touch with you? Absolutely. You can get me on my website, www.uclogic.com, where you can get my book, where I have a guide to sexy swagger, reimagining your sex life for women and vulva owners. You can also book a private session with me. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at UCLogic, or you can email me at info at UCLogic. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. And it was completely my pleasure to have you on and you are a wealth of knowledge. And to all the viewers and listeners out there, this isn't even the tip of the iceberg. Dr. UC has so much information and is just so full of knowledge that you just can't get enough. In fact, you should definitely, everyone should go and start to follow her on Instagram because she is amazing. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you for coming you. on. And well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So please see your healthcare provider if you have any concerns about your health. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one -on -one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. <laughs>